What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy anniversary! Today, October 15th, is the one-year anniversary of Riffs and Rules. Thank you all so much for your support over the last year. Uh, We actually recently crossed our 20,000 download milestone. Thank you so much. And here's the show. Good evening, Rifflers. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast. We go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about safaris. Good show, old chap. <laughs> Nathan, what is a safari? A safari is a thing where very white, rich people kill animals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you're, you're partially right, but... <laughs> I mean, that is a subset. We, we definitely can't talk about that angle more in a moment, but... No, no Nathan, it's not... It's not just that. <laughs> that threw me off with it. I thought it would. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> technically speaking, a safari is just a particular type of journey. And exactly what that entails can actually be rather variable. So, yes, you are right in that like big game hunting is a version of that. But it is also just done for potential, you know, sightseeing or just, you know, trying to just observe certain types of wildlife or just like a fancier version of hiking for really rich people. So in Dungeons and Dragons, however, it can be a rather bigger thing. Well, that's probably not the best way to phrase that. So let me just say this, though. The whole... The general idea of a safari is that someone with a lot of wealth tries to just go somewhere and see things that they would not be able to see or do at home. So it's like a holiday. Yeah, it is just a type of holiday that a person can go on. 
But in Dungeons and Dragons, there are so many more things to be seen. So classically speaking, like uh, most safaris, you immediately will assume Africa. So that is, you know, see elephants, lions, you know, all of the kind of big game type of things is kind of like the default assumption. However, Dungeons and Dragons has creatures a whole lot more dangerous than elephants and lions and tigers. So let's talk about how you can do a safari in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. So there are a lot of people with rather significant amounts of wealth in Dungeons and Dragons. Most of the time, the assumption is that a rich person will be an adventurer who has just acquired all of that wealth. But that shouldn't always be the case because there are going to be just times in your world. Well, yeah, kings, but even just that, just descendants of adventurers may have oh, I, just I was, a lot of money without having power. No, I was thinking merchant kings, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that also very much could be. So that actually can take us into the different styles of safari. So let's actually start in the big game hunting, because that is, you know, the first thing that came to mind for you. So in D&D, what kind of creatures might just like some rich person want to go hunting? Uh, Tarask. I mean... Maybe, but I don't know that any adventurers would be willing to take that job. <laughs> At least I would hope that they're smart enough not to. Fucking hell! It's like we shall go on a journey. I heard that the I heard that the Tarasque is a terrifying creature. <laughs> Nathan, come on, man! <laughs> like, like, like we were kind of talking about on Tuesday in talking mm-hmm. about the different tiers. There are just lots of tiers of creature in terms of just danger out in the world. So you can have it be something like an owl bear, which just is a ridiculous creature, but one that a lot of us in the D&D community just are fond of because it, it is just strange and also kind of adorable. But that may just be my personal opinion. But anyway, you could go from owl bears up through dragons, potentially, because In a world where dragons existed, of course there would be people who want to be able to say, I killed a dragon. And they may not have the strength to themselves go out and try to kill a dragon. And that's where adventurers come in. So here's where there can be some some less fun uh, thought in terms of a safari in D&D. A lot of people just from just history of video games hate escort quests Mm -hmm. however it is just a classic trope of quest and it does just have a place in the world so think about how difficult it would be for a group of like level eight adventurers let's say to escort someone who just is using like the noble stat block so someone who may have a fraction of like their hit points and abilities and armor, like they are just not as good as a full-on adventurer. So trying to keep someone alive 
is hard. But the thing is, that very fact Money. is what can make that valuable just as a DM to make it be a thing. Because struggle is a good thing. And if you do have, let's say you have a party who's really good at killing things, this creates a different type of struggle because the difficulty is not in killing their enemy. The struggle is in keeping this asshole alive. <laughs> and that is something that can be so very difficult depending on the thing that you're well, going that's to face. brilliant, honestly. Like, okay, I'm just going to use Dragon as the example. <laughs> like, imagine that you're fighting something like a red dragon that has that massive fire breath that that is just going to incinerate most people. So how the fuck do you try to keep someone alive? Like, let's say, like, there is, you know, the quest given, you know, the, this guy hires the party that and the deal is, though. I have to be the one to get the finishing blow so that in a circle of truth, I can truthfully say I killed the dragon. Well, shit, how the fuck are we going to pull that off? Because if one fire breath were to touch this guy, he is all of a sudden so much just crispy bone shards left on the ground. Crispy bone shards at your so nearest KFC. How would you possibly? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but like, how would you even arrange such a thing? Like, would you try to convince this guy? Okay, fine. Uh, here's a longbow. Like, we'll try to just, like, get the dragon, you know, weakened, and then you can try to finish it off. Or, like, do you try to just knock out a dragon so that he can, like, run up and get the coup de gras finishing blow? Like, how do you do such a thing when it is something as fucking dangerous as a dragon? And, of course, it is also up to you as the DM how reasonable or unreasonable is the individual about getting that finishing blow? Like, trying to see how your players can interact with such a character in such a situation is the struggle in this type of quest. And even in addition to that, it is, of course, very likely that they're not going to get, you know, paid fully up front. Like, that's the type of situation where, like, you as the dungeon master can arrange, like, okay, You'll get paid like 20% up front and 80% after the fact. And like, you know, the 20% is mostly to be used for like travel, gear, all that kind of stuff. And then it is only after that they get paid. And just for the extra wrinkle, just if you really are feeling like an asshole one day, you can even find that after the fact, I don't actually have uh, that additional 80%, I promise. Sorry, bye. And ah. how would you like... Wouldn't that be just a kick in the balls of like the party kills a drag, like weakens a dragon, so this asshole can finish it off, only to find out my wealth is uh, actually in investments and I don't quite have the cash on hand. I am good for it, I promise you, but uh, uh, it'll be a, a month or so. <laughs> like, how, like, is the party just going to immediately stab the guy in the face? Are they going to just kind of hang around until they get their payment? Are they going to try to like maybe this could even be an opportunity for you to introduce like legal stuff. Like, can you like sue someone in your D&D game if like they don't pay you the way they're supposed to? That's amazing. One thing that is actually because one thing that actually is a misconception in Dungeons and Dragons is the fact that it is a middle uh, medieval setting. 
And that's not actually true. The thing is, D&D is just a world that had magic develop instead of technology, for the most part. Of course, steampunk D&D does exist, but that's a whole separate conversation. But if you do have, like, legal dispute in Dungeons & Dragons, way more often than not, the solution is stabbing them in the face or fireball. But are there legal recourses in your world? And, like, again, this might be a kind of dickish thing for you as the DM to do, but it could be a way for you to introduce, like, there are legal system. There are paths to resolve such disputes that don't involve stab in the face or fireball. But anyway, uh, back to the That's actual impossible. safari, though. <laughs> well, I mean, like we've talked before, like Circle <laughs> of Truth exists. Like Zone of Truth is a spell that is just a fantastic thing. So why wouldn't there be individuals with that spell potentially, like, to resolve things? Because, like, Legal codes have existed for literally millennia. Like, I don't remember the uh, you know exact year for Hammurabi's code, but it's really old. So if you do have thousands of years of civilization like exists in Dungeons and Dragons, there would have to be some kind of legal code somehow. But actually, that might also be worth just revisiting. Well, no, we actually talked a little bit about it in Criminal Justice now that I think about it. Anyway, moving on from that. So. Back to the whole idea of the big game hunt. So we talked about the idea of escorting someone who is weak, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. It might well be that it is a capable individual who just wants to have, you know, allies at their side because action economy. So even if you do have someone who might be like a capable person in their own right, like that could definitely be a thing. So having there be just allies just does make everything in fifth edition so so much easier and even besides that it could very well be something that is a follow-up to a you know previous npc interaction so like we talked about this at the start of just introducing a new npc that you're dealing with but it might not actually be that like a safari could well be just an actual vacation so maybe it, this is a situation of you know, you helped out some NPC, you know, way longer ago in the campaign. And thanks to the player's actions, they came across, you know, a large amount of money. Like maybe it's a situation where like the classic, you know, oh, no, goblins took over the dwarven mine. And then you could have a situation where, you know, thanks to the players clearing out the mine, the dwarf who owns it has made an enormous amount of gold, like since the players have last seen him. So. Oh, it's good to see you all again. Uh, as thanks for your efforts, you know, a couple of months ago, how about I take you all on a vacation? We'll go to, you know, insert continent or area here, and, you know, we'll go and have a grand old time. And it could just be a situation where, like, you have this kind of, you know, beach episode type of session where it is just, like, a time for the party to just have a lot of fun. Because, again... Player characters are fucking always on the move. Like like we've talked about again on Tuesday about the lack of downtime for player characters. If you do have a vacation, that makes sense because human psychology doesn't do great constantly being in life-threatening danger all the goddamn time. 
So to let there be moments of downtime, to let there be vacations could be a massively valuable thing in your game. And it's a good way to show that not everything in the world is shit and danger. To let you show that there are fun things out there that you can do. Like, imagine a situation where, like, there can be, like, elephants do exist in D&D. So maybe there is a situation where, you know, you go to, you know, whatever it is, the Africa of your campaign world, and just, like, let your characters get a chance to, like, you know, ride an elephant through the plains. And that's just a cool story. Because so many D&D just stories that get told by players are the types of like, you know, yeah, I killed a mind flayer or a dragon this other time, or, you know, oh, there's this time where I got stuck in this bad trap. Like, there's not enough stories of fun stuff happening to players. And that's just a really strange thing, honestly, in the psychology of D&D is the fact that Dungeon Masters focus on the dangerous shit and not all of the fun things that exist because of magic. Like, imagine if there were just places where, okay, you know, this is the mountaintop that is the home of the giant eagles. And if you do manage to climb the mountain to the peak, then there is an enchantment on the area that will give you, you know, the magical ability to fly alongside the giant eagles. That would be fucking cool. And a D&D world is a massive, massive source of cool things to do, whether that is, you know, going after, you know, to hunt creatures, to go after just trying to view, ver you know, weird types of creatures. Or actually, uh, I didn't have this one planned, but another one that just occurred to me. It would be a really cool session if you have a druid in your party, then... We talked uh, just last week, I think, about Wild Shape and how technically a druid just needs to see a creature, a beast, to be able to transform into it. There are a lot of cool beasts out there in D&D. However, the important part of that sentence is out there, meaning that there are a lot of non-standard beasts to other regions of the world that your party may have never seen. So it could very well just be like a kind of world building as well as character development quest to go on a safari. Like, let's just say that there is a particular creature that the druid just wants to kind of meet to gain that as one of its wild shaped forms. Like maybe it is a situation where like they have just like an affinity to, let's just say that they really like cats. And so, like, they have the ability of, you know, to turn into a house cat, but they want to be able to turn into a combat cat of some form. So then you are just, to, like, to go to the plains, and you're just trying to find a, like, lion or tiger for them to gain a combat-capable giant cat. Like, that is another thing that could just be a lot of fun just to go hunting for such a creature and again, this is a situation where it doesn't even have to be combat related. This could very well be a thing where it is just a challenge to just find the creature so that the druid can just get the chance to gain it as a form for themselves. 
Like that is something that can be fun roleplay wise. It could be beneficial mechanically after the fact once they gain the form. Like this is a solid like win 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 from multiple angles. And that's just going for the, like the more typical thing. So I did, of course, mention, you know, owl, bear and dragons. But the point is that there are a lot of freaking weird just creatures out there. But even with like the massive, massive just list of creatures, you as the dungeon master, this could also be a fantastic opportunity for you for the rarer type creatures. We have talked a little bit about cryptids here and there in the past. The fact that in a Dungeons and Dragons world specifically, there should be stranger creatures out there, whether that is just like a natural mutation or an escaped experiment from some magic user. But weird things should be out there. So it could very well be a situation where, you know, you are just on the hunt just to gather information about this thing to find out whether something is, you know, rumor or reality. So to go through this kind of, you know, more desolate area. So I, I, I do keep going to Africa, like in these examples. And that is because like the whole the word safari, you know, is like based on, you know, Swahili etymology. So it is kind of based on that continent. So I am just kind of focused on that for the most part. It doesn't really have to be because the word really just does mean just a journey or to travel. But anyway, but I'm going to just focus on that for the most part throughout this. But having there be creatures where it is a somewhat inhospitable landscape and that there can be just other dangerous creatures about, but let your creativity just go nuts with this. Like, there are creatures like the owl bear that are just like a mingling of two creatures. So use that as inspiration. Maybe there can be just like smooshed together of other creatures. Like maybe there can be like, I don't know, a rhinoceros and a cheetah. So you just have which is like a massive cheetah. Trosserus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Rhinoceros, cheetah. Yeah. Chinoceros is probably the way to go. So yeah, imagine though, if you did have just like a rhinoceros-sized creature with the speed of a cheetah and, like, the horn of the rhino still, like, that would be quite the threat to most individuals in the world. Like, yeah, you know, a high-level D&D party, that's nothing to them. But, like, for the most part, like, most 5th edition D&D is kind of focused more towards lower-level individuals. So let's really just not think about, like, if you can just, like, oh yeah, I can cast gate and just teleport a thing directly to me. Like, high-level magic does just kind of break the world at a certain point. But anyway, that's another another day. Uh, yeah, So, but have there be weird creatures? Or, uh, actually, I'm curious, have you ever seen a movie called Clash of the Titans? No. <sighs> so it's a Greek mythology movie, and one of like the most infamous just creatures is a colossal scorpion like most DD creatures max out in fifth edition at gargantuan which is technically anything that is like 20 feet by 20 feet or larger but so even though like on a DD grid that is going to be you know four squares by four squares like larger creatures exist they just still are that same gargantuan category but for comparison's sake 
Like the scorpion that's shown in that movie is probably more along the lines of, I don't know, 30 squares by 30 squares. Like that thing is a is probably closer to like 150 feet long. It is enormous. So crazy to right. So to have there be like some colossal creature out there in the wild, like that is the kind of thing that'd be pretty neat because what would you even do against such a creature? Like, that's the kind of thing where most adventurers still could, like, they would not be able to really harm that thing. Like, its carapace would be so thick that it would probably have, like, immunity to non-magical weapons. And that would also mean then that, like, villagers and townsfolk would not be able to do a damn thing to it. So having a creature like that be out there would also just create opportunity for you as the dm like just having such a thing because we talked about the big game hunting aspect however there is also the angle of just to see unusual creatures so imagine if you do just get hired by someone who just hires you to just say i want to be able to see you know the dire scorpion with my own two eyes like that creates challenge for the party so even though okay maybe it is large and not able to move very quickly or maybe its size does mean that like a single step will move it like a hundred feet in a turn like that is definitely something that you as the dm would need to really really plan out like maybe this is even a like a higher level quest so like you could only possibly like hunt for this thing like through some like airship like you could only like hope to encounter it like looking down from the sky and that like it will just catch up to you if you were to be on land but then you could have like the dangerous encounter be like maybe there are like vultures that attack the party in the airship that you know might you know, depending on what type of airship might like damage the ship or the balloon in some way. And then like, oh, shit, oh, shit, we have to try to fix the ship before we crash or before we just get into range of the dire scorpion. Like there are so many angles that such an encounter can take. And that exactly is the point that I'm trying to get at here. Just because, you know, you automatically assume big game hunting doesn't mean that there aren't other angles that you can take to have interesting encounters you can have the big game hunt but you can also have just the vacation day you can also have just the peril styles of encounters and any of those can be a valuable addition to your DD worlds so thinking about how you could incorporate a safari into your world is very much worth consideration Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Two stars those a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support us get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, we will chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riffwick Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwick, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast, and you can send us an email riffs and rules at gmail.com that's riffs and rules at gmail.com thanks for listening bye
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.